welcome to the F1 Strategy Report for Apex Race Manager, the mobile management simulator. My name's Michael Laminato, and on this week's edition, the Malaysian Grand Prix, Sebastian Vettel's championship hopes stay alive for another round. But could he have finished on the podium in Sepang? That's all to come in this edition of the Strategy Report. Well, it's hard to know whether it's the sweat from the humidity or the rain shower that struck me on the way to the car after the Malaysian Grand Prix. But one way or another, I'm here in one piece uh, post the Malaysian Grand Prix and joined on the line by Nate Saunders, the associate editor of ESPN F1. Nate, how are you doing? Hey, Michael. Yeah, good, thanks. How about yourself, other than the uh, being caught in the rainstorm? Yeah, look, it's the rain that uh, was, I suppose, promised, but never actually turned up for the Grand Prix itself. So I I guess it arrived eventually, just didn't affect the drivers we perhaps wanted it to affect in the long run but you know such is life i feel like it's always the case with the malaysian grand prix though isn't it we always promise so much rain and think oh this is going to be a a really interesting race if we get some wet weather and then well nothing actually ends up happening yeah i swear as well this year every single race i've been at it has rained within about 20 minutes like hard rained about 20 minutes (laughs) after the kind of I've been leaving the circuit so you know you think or or just at the end of the race so it's like all these races are happening just before these epic rainstorms there was one in Austria we drove back there was like a monsoon kind of (laughs) and I was like well if they'd raced in this it would have been it would have been crazy so maybe there's something to that (laughs) had they been able to race I suppose which would have always been the question true yeah that's yeah that's 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 always the the big if isn't it there was a race of course in Malaysia it was the last Malaysian Grand Prix and it was a dry Grand Prix but to set it up we really have to go back to the fact that we had wet practice uh, on Friday wet FP1 because that kind of Set the scene for the race in the sense that, yes, we all thought maybe there might have been a wet Grand Prix coming, but more importantly, it deprived the teams and the drivers of precious practice time. We've seen this over and over again. When that happens, you tend to get different results because no one's really sure. I mean, we see this all the time, don't we? Teams deprived of practice uh, don't really necessarily get it right on race day. Yeah, no, and to be honest, it makes for a really fascinating Saturday and Sunday when that happens because Mercedes is probably the best example of that. You know, they they came into Saturday that split the the setup between old and new parts between uh, Bottas and Hamilton. But the time they lost on Friday, I mean, that, in the dry when that finally they got a, they got you know some time in the in the kind of a drying track in FP1 and then a a drier track in FP2. But you could see the car was a handful. So they went into Friday with this fundamental issue that they just hadn't really had the track time to to really work on. Uh, and you could see how much of a problem that was for them in the race as well. You know. They effectively, that was their first proper long run. The other interesting thing was Grosjean's accident with the um, the loose drain cover. Then denied a lot of the teams the end of their long their, their so their sort of long race simulations with high fuel. So I think a lot of the teams went into qualifying and definitely the race, which of course happens at a different time as well to FP2. It's a bit of an anomaly in that sense. It kind of happens, you know, it, the scheduling of the Malaysian Grand Prix has always been a weird one. Um, so yeah, I think for a lot of the teams they were in a similar situation. It hurt some. A lot more than others and I think Mercedes was was one of those teams like Haas as well they really struggled uh, through the weekend so yeah I think it 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 almost it almost raises an argument sometimes that maybe there's too much practice and the less practice you you know you maybe get a bit of a an unknown element later in the weekend should just replace it with five different race sessions throughout the course of the weekend it's supposed to be more action that way yeah definitely definitely that's that's definitely one option I'm not sure how popular it would be with uh, mechanics having to fix all those cars every, (laughs) every, every weekend but um yeah, you know, it's something. I've always wondered whether, you know, <clears throat> there should be some races where you just start with qualifying. 
you know, you, you go straight into it. Everyone just qualifies straight off the bat and then you get a practice session and then a race because you, you know, this, it just adds that element of people just don't know what, you know, the pace of their car, but also they haven't unlocked those key bits of performance they need to really understand where their car is performing well. Absolutely. And I think what's really interesting, certainly so far this season and on a number of circuits, including this one, but on a a group of circuits that increasingly don't seem to be actually related is that Mercedes has started on the back foot. And yes, to the benefit of them, we've had all these practice sessions where they've been able to to get relatively close. Lewis Hamilton uh, was able to set pole, albeit without Sebastian Vettel being in that qualifying session. But are you surprised to see Mercedes struggle as regularly, but also, I suppose, as randomly as they are at this point in the season? We're almost at the end of it, after all. It's a really weird one. I think they've probably got the oddest dominant car for a long time in Formula One, and that their their kind of their setup window. Obviously, we know when they when they absolutely nail that, they're unbeatable. We've seen that you know for you know, the past three and a half years. But this circuit is interesting. After the race, Toto Wolff actually made the observation. He said that of of the circuits they've struggled at this year. So if you, you know you can name them three very obvious mm-hmm. obvious ones is Monaco, Hungary, uh, and then Singapore. Last time out, he said of those three, if you were to Say another circuit had, which had similar characteristics. Kuala Lumpur, you know, Sepang would be one of those ones that you would uh, you'd put in there. You know, it's it's got a it's got the high temperatures they've always struggled with. It's you know still got a lot of low speed corners as well. So I think it has some of the characteristics that they've struggled with. So it's not like they've gone to a place like Suzuka mm-hmm. and struggled. If they went there, if they went to Suzuka uh, next week and struggled, then you know alarm bells have to be ringing completely across that team because that's that's the sort of circuit you look at and you're like, there's no real weak point for them. But the thing that was really interesting for me is, is, is as you kind of alluded to in, um, you know, when you were kind of talking about the weekend and that they just, they just seem to be nowhere on pace. And it seems like they, they, when they're in trouble, they struggle to find that sweet spot of the car. It seems like it through the weekend, sometimes it can spiral away from them. And that I think is very interesting because other teams, Ferrari doesn't seem to have that problem. It seems to be able to, you know, they seem to be able to nail in their car quite early in the weekend and just build from that every week. Interesting on that as well, before we look more towards the race, is the enormous difference. And this was not only in qualifying, where it was more than half a tenth of a second, but it was also in the race where it was uh, upwards of 50 seconds or 40 seconds specifically between Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas in the race, uh, never mind the gap mm. to the lead. Mm. It only seems to be getting worse when, in many respects, it seemed like it should have been getting better for Valtteri Bottas. I mean, the, the gap between him and Hamilton in qualifying before the mid-season break was less than a tenth on average. Now it's more than half a second on average. Is this, do you think, him getting lost in, in the ongoing development of the car that is naturally suiting Lewis Hamilton? Or is this of a bigger concern, do you think, to, to both Bottas and Mercedes? Well, it's, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because he, he, was, he was one of the most, before the summer break, he was consistently scoring strong points. You know, Lewis, it was actually Lewis who was the erratic one. He'd be winning mm-hmm. and then he'd be finishing off the podium and then winning and off the podium. And Bottas was, I, I can't remember the exact, off the top of my head, the exact amount of races, but he had a long spell where he was just finishing on the podium every race. And I think one of the big motivating factors for him at that time was the fact that he was still unsigned. I think Toto Wolff was very clever in how he, you know, just let, he just kind of let this driver market kind of play itself out. And everyone knew he was going to sign Bottas, but as soon as you've, until you've, you've got that signature signed, you know, on the deal, you don't know for certain you're going to be there next year. So I think he's lost that motivation. But also, as you say, I think the car has developed a lot and um, in the last couple of week, weekends and, Given the fact where he is in the championship, you just get the impression that 
you know, the momentum of that team is kind of, it not, I'm not saying they're favouring Hamilton uh, overtly over, over him, but I guess if you're in that situation, you must feel like the team here wants to win the team championship and they want to win the driver's championship and they're probably not going to win it with him. So that must be playing on his, on his mind as well, I guess. What, what about you? What do you think has been the, the key? Because it has been dramatic. He's gone from being very consistent to just suddenly being almost like Raikkonen in Ferrari, being just way off the pace of, of Hamilton, like Raikkonen has been with Vettel all season. Well, it's interesting because I, I suppose on one half, it is certainly Bottas who seems to be struggling a little bit more. It's, it's more obvious that he, he's struggling with the tyres in particular, I think, to keep them in their correct uh, operating window, which has been a story for many drivers and many teams so far this season and many seasons with Pirelli, to be honest. But I think there's also got to be a degree of, of Lewis Hamilton finding, I think, a little bit of a sweet spot himself. I, I thought I really noticed sort of towards the end of uh, the second, uh, the first half of the season, rather, he's been enjoying this season for, for the most part, uh, especially the battle with Sebastian Vettel, which is new to him, I suppose, after three years of battling only his teammate. But especially at the back end of the first half of the season, when the cars seem to be coming good, it feels a little bit like Hamilton stepped it up a notch and, and Bottas hasn't really been able to answer it. And maybe that is a little bit because the Mercedes car has sort of filled in some of those gaps it had earlier on in the season, particularly if you think about the Monaco Grand Prix, how poor that was. Even in Singapore, it wasn't really as poor a result as Monaco. So I think there's a little bit of, of everything going in there to count against Valtteri's performances. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree completely. And I think demoralizing as well. Lewis has been on a run in qualifying as well. Uh, you know, he's, the, mm. what he's been doing in the last couple of races. I mean, on, when it comes to Saturdays, he just seems to be able to drag that car and just get it onto the best position he can. And if you're Bottas and you're watching that, you know, it, it, again, it comes down to the mental thing. I think Lewis has been in, I mean, off the top of my head, maybe six championship fights now mm-hmm. in his career, you know, across the whole time. This for Bottas is his first real sniff of one, of being in a car that he knows every weekend if he hooks everything up correctly, he could win the race. and Or, or you know, even should win the race, you could argue sometimes. And that mentally, you know, when, when the guy opposite in the garage is Lewis Hamilton, you know, it, it must... It must take its toll. So maybe that's maybe, there's definitely something to that as well because I think we're seeing a very special spell of Lewis at the moment. He seems to grow into a lot of these seasons, and you know this latter stage as well. He seems to just get stronger and stronger, and we're seeing that. Even though he's been lucky in two races in terms of what else has happened, I think he's driven superbly since the you know the start of the second half of the season. And if you're Bottas, that must be difficult to know how to counteract. Compare this over to Ferrari, which suffered, uh, I suppose, a bittersweet weekend in some respects. They obviously had a terrible weekend in Singapore, where both cars crashed into one another uh, and dropped Sebastian Vettel 28 points behind uh, in the Drivers' Championship fight with Lewis Hamilton. He needed a really good weekend here. Practice suggested Ferrari would have a very good weekend, but then he couldn't qualify because of an engine problem. Kimi Raikkonen qualified second, but he had the same engine problem or, or another engine problem in any case on the grid and couldn't compete. Sebastian Vettel starting from last and it's a, it's a difficult prospect considering what was at stake but he performed probably well I mean if you look at the Formula 1 website he was the driver of the day it, this does kind of highlight though I suppose the driver side how big an advantage the front running cars have because I think it was by lap 21 he'd already caught up to Bottas at the tail end of those front runners so in some respects it should have been expected right? Yeah I'd agree with that and um after the race, Lewis said that his all the simulations that Mercedes had kind of done uh, after qualifying and before the race had suggested that Vettel would finish fourth or fifth. So it shows you that they knew the pace he had in the car, and it 
it, it seems a bit like you know a two-tiered formula when you look at it like that when a guy can start last like that on a circuit that has overtaking opportunities but it's still you know it's still it's still a tricky place to overtake in some areas but can you know as you said so easily get back through the field i think it shows one of the problems f1 has is that you know if someone's starting from the back i think it it was a great drive from Vettel. I was it was one of the most impressive drives of of the season for him, but it kind of limits the uh, the kind of impact of a of a drive like that. I think now when there's such a big gap clearly between the front and the uh, you know the front three teams and the and the guys behind. Because I think as you said, he was back up there within 21 laps or so, and that's the interesting thing is looking at why that was. A lot of it was down to the pace of the car, but there was also there was some bits you know to do with the the track conditions that you know the tires as well. Um, but yeah, I'd love to have seen what that car could have done out in front because it suge- the, you know, the pace that we saw suggested that Vettel would have been very difficult to beat again. Yeah, now key to this win uh, was in fact strategy, although it didn't play out exactly as the way perhaps many would have expected looking at the way he started. He started on the contra strategy for what was expected to be a one-stop Grand Prix and and was for pretty much everybody, anybody who, yeah. whose results yeah. really counted, let's say that much. <laughs> uh, but he started on the soft tyre when pretty much everybody else started on the super soft. And this was a little bit of a gamble in some respects because degradation, as we were saying earlier, was a pretty big unknown. And high degradation would have meant the super soft didn't really work out. And it would have also meant this potentially pushed it towards a two-stop race. But degradation was so low that he was quick on both tyres. And, and times, in fact, uh, pretty much decreased throughout everybody's stints, uh, along with the use of fuel. Uh, and that meant a lot for, for Sebastian Vettel because it meant he essentially could jump everybody, not get stuck in traffic, was helped by a great deal of the midfield also pitting right in front of him, uh, as if, uh, I don't know, Maurizio Vibene was whispering in the ears <laughs> of some people and asking them to, to do them a favour. But then that last stint was what counted because the super soft worked really, really well. And to see him hunt down Daniel Ricciardo on the opposite tyre was what this race was really about in the end. Yeah, it was. And that, and that, like you say, comes down to the levels of degradation because, you know, usually what we've got used to seeing is Vettel would have had, you'd, you'd think, okay, he's got 10 laps, 15 laps in, in hand on the quicker tyre and he can attack and then he's going to have the inevitable drop-off. And you were looking at the lap times and that drop-off, it didn't even look close to happening because the times he was putting in were getting faster and faster and he was... You know, he'd pitted midway through the race, so he was, you know, he'd done a long stint on those tyres. And uh, that, I think, came down to Pirelli obviously expected a much higher level of degradation. But again, as we were talking about earlier, that was one thing that the teams weren't able to really properly understand earlier in the weekend because of the lack of running. And you saw some teams, I mean, Hulkenberg was one of the guys who was complaining, saying, we need to get off this tyre. And Renault were like, well, look, we're in this situation now and everyone's going to the end. If, if we pit you, it's a disaster. Because they said, you know, we we can't mm-hmm. sacrifice track position because no one else is going to do that. Uh, so, yeah, in terms of the battle for third, it was a shame that whatever happened to Vettel at the end, it seemed like he backed off after Ricardo slammed the door in his face because I'm not sure whether that was, you know, I'm, I assume there was a lot more going on behind the scenes there because Vettel seemed quite upset that he wasn't able to have another go. Uh, but, yeah, I, I found that really interesting. And that, and that again, would have that would have made the... The race a bit more interesting if Kimi had been in the in in the mix as well if he had actually been at a start because you imagine that even if he hadn't caught Lewis at the start off the line he probably would have got by him like Verstappen did and I imagine Verstappen on that pace would have done as well and we could have had a real battle between Verstappen and Kimi at least on 
on probably the same tyre, but tyres that they were able to push quite a bit, and then you might have Vettel in the mix as well. Um, so yeah, it, that, that it's one of those things where a random or seemingly random scenario actually makes a, a pretty entertaining and compelling race. It's just a shame that um, Vettel had so much uh, time to overhaul because he really ran out of laps. There was no way he was going to get Lewis. And actually looking at it, I was just looking back at some of the lap times, even catching Ricardo was one thing. But as soon as he got up behind the Red Bull, the pace just dropped off and Lewis was able to scamper away as well. So uh, what do you think about that? I mean, in terms of taking on that tyre at the start of the race, it seemed like the only thing Vettel and Ferrari could have really done to to do anything different. That's what that's the the way I looked at it. I mean, it was it was him and the, the two Salvers in front of him, and then everyone else went super soft. So clearly, it took a few people lower down the order by surprise that Vettel would have done that. Well, I suppose because degradation was not very high, so being able to switch to a faster tire for in Sebastian Vettel's case counted for a great deal because suddenly he found two seconds more on that tire than uh, the other drivers did on the super soft tire. But at the start of the race, when obviously the cars were heavier. And, and more full of fuel. I think what well, the only interesting part for, for Sebastian Vettel's strategy in the sense of whether or not it was the optimal, it seems strange to say that considering you finished fourth after, after uh, starting all the way at the back, was the timing of that pit stop because really you should have expected him to, to go much later given he was on a, a tyre that uh, in Esteban Ocon's case, for example, ran 53 laps, but he only stopped on lap 27. And I guess the difference was that he was kind of in a, a fight with Bottas. Uh, it was a, a question of whether he overtakes Bottas and then risk being undercut by Bottas or or just pits first and avoids the entire situation but I guess it really could have gone other way maybe there was room do you think there perhaps was some potential there for that strategy to go a little bit further on for Sebastian potentially but I think that that's quite interesting what you say about them yeah I think Ferrari would have if they if they tried to extend that stint I think it would have been almost trying to be too clever mm-hmm. you know you've got clearly a car that's beatable in Bottas and I think once they got past him they knew it wouldn't be a problem because Bottas the struggles he was having with pace and every lap he was behind there they obviously were thinking as well you know they've got Ricardo, and they were thinking about the the kind of long-term strategy there I think they played it right myself because I don't know if they'd have got much closer to Ricardo had they stayed out longer and if anything doing that would have jeopardized that second stint of the race because they needed clear air they needed to get past Bottas so I think pitting when they did kind of made sense and clearly Mercedes was you know was using Bottas in that situation to kind of as a buffer you know because Lewis at that point was basically one whole pit stop ahead of uh, ahead of Vettel so they knew they had that time in hand at least so I think they made the right call but it's an interesting one because yeah uh, I guess in hindsight you look at what the other guys were cars were able to do uh, you know in similar situations maybe in hindsight it wouldn't have been but I think at the time with the information they had I'd have done the same thing. Before we move, I suppose, to Esteban Ocon and talk a little bit about him, because I think he also deserved a a bit of a note as perhaps one of the standout drives of this Grand Prix, uh, is how teammates are not only playing a bit of a role in this race, but I suppose in the championship overall. Sebastian Vettel lacked his teammate. We were talking a little bit there about how Kimi Raikkonen potentially could have had quite a big influence in this race, given Ferrari had such good pace, but he obviously... (laughs) couldn't start the race which was uh, fairly detrimental for him on the other hand you look at Lewis Hamilton who did get assistance despite Valtteri Bottas being so far off the pace uh, from Valtteri because he was able to hold Daniel Ricciardo up for the first nine laps and it was almost a second a lap that Ricciardo cost, uh, lost there and had he not perhaps that could have uh, played he could have played a bigger part in in the battle for the lead he was similar to Verstappen's pace when he was in clear air as well how much are these teammates going to continue to play a role now that we've got three teams 
seemingly more or less on similar pace, but two of which, and two drivers in particular, competing for a championship. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting dynamic now between all of them because I think actually Bottas probably helped Hamilton finish second. I know Ricardo. it looked like he didn't have the pace, but if you look at the... You mentioned it was about a second a lap. The gap at the end was about nine seconds, I think, Hamilton to Ricardo, but that was only kind of extended in the last mm-hmm. couple of laps because Ricardo was focusing on defending from Vettel. And as we saw in lap four, Hamilton really didn't put up much of a fight when Verstappen came near him. So I think if Ricardo had got close enough, and we, you know, we all know Verstappen's incredible when it comes to those wheel-to-wheel moments, I don't think Lewis would have really put up much of a fight. He might have done actually if, if he knew Vettel was the next man down the road, but it would have been an interesting situation. And I, I, you know, I think Lewis probably would have yielded easier than say if it was him versus Vettel. So clearly Bottas helped a great deal there. And that's the interesting thing for Ferrari is that I don't know if Raikkonen's always going to be in that situation where he's ahead of Hamilton to really play a role. Mm-hmm. And then the interesting thing with Red Bull is they're not fighting for anything. Those two guys are kind of fighting for pride this year. And I think there's, a, there's definitely a respect between Ricciardo and Verstappen. You can see that every time they, they talk and they're out of the car and stuff. But they both want to win. You know, they, they both want to go into 2018 with a few wins under their belt and those two guys are hungry for a championship. Every time you hear them talking, they're saying, you know, 2018 is key for me staying here. And that means now, you know, in these races, there's a complete joker in the pack because Vettel and Hamilton, if it was just those two fighting every weekend and thinking our teammates aren't going to help us, it would be those two against each other. If you're Lewis, that's perfect because it means at best Vettel's going to take seven points off you or, you know, a couple of points off you here and there. But now there's potential of, of these two guys getting in the mix between those two guys. Um, and so, yeah, I think that... I think it could be crucial in the year. Actually, the Red Bulls more than Bottas and Raikkonen. I think they're going to play a much bigger part. And the interesting thing with that then is they they aren't beholden to team orders, are they? Christian Horner's not going to get a call from Toto Wolff saying, hey, can you hold up Vettel for a little bit? And vice versa, <laughs> he's not going to get one from Maurizio Riverbene. So they're going to have to actually gain those positions back rather than, you know, say Hamilton being behind Bottas and Mercedes saying, right, you know, Valtteri, off you go, or vice versa with Kimi. So that hopefully, if, if Red Bull can kind of keep this this trend of overperforming at weekends, uh, that would be really interesting for the for the title race. I mean, if if it was you, Michael, like which which teammate would you rather have if you were Lewis or or, or Seb? Like if which of those two guys do you think has the best situation in terms of teammates in terms of helping their championship? Because at the moment they're both kind of off form, but I know which one I think I'd pick. But I was interested to get your. Your take on that? I don't know if there's too much question this yeah. one, to be honest. You'd be much more comfortable being Lewis Hamilton in this situation. Mm. I mean, yes, yeah. this is a bad race to choose, obviously, because Raikkonen wasn't able to start. But even just to look at the points now, uh, Valtteri Bottas has much more frequently been able to get in the mix on, on the podium than Kimi Raikkonen has. Even if he has bad days, he's, he's his pace generally seems to be a little bit more competitive than Kimi Raikkonen's. I was going to say, how much of a disadvantage do you think that could be, if indeed you agree, I suppose, mm. uh, for Sebastian Vettel? Because, yeah, like we've been saying, it, it's so close and, and every position in that top six is going to count for a lot, especially given Vettel so far behind in the point. Yeah, no, no I, I absolutely agree. Uh, <laughs> I was trying to get some... some. I was hoping maybe you'd, you'd be on the Kimi side of things to get a debate going. <laughs> but then that's 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 a difficult thing to find I, I appreciate so but no I completely agree and um you know one of the alarming things I think that I can, I, I totally get why Ferrari re-signed Raikkonen you know he's a safe pair of hands and he's not gonna he's not gonna ruffle feathers like Alonso used to and he's not gonna he's not gonna get a team order and say no you know I'm not I'm not doing that you know like in Hungary we saw that Vettel had a damaged car and Kimi played you know the loyal you know teammate behind him for the whole race when some guys you wonder 
imagine in that situation you you've got you've got Ricardo behind Verstappen who's got the damaged car in Hungary and Red Bull say right we need you to you know we need you to hold here mm-hmm. and kind of play rig on I don't I think you know you get a very stern Australian uh, <laughs> telling off from Ricardo because of the situation they're in and Bottas is in the same situation but much more competitive than uh, than Kimi and I just can't see Kimi being in front of of Lewis to really make that much of an impact when the car's there he just doesn't seem to be whereas Bottas I think has shown this year he can be I think he's just going through a whether it's a mental blip or a you know performance blip or whether there's something actually about the the direction the development's gone in but we know that underlying all of that Bottas can be very competitive and can beat Lewis as well which we we've only seen Raikkonen really do once this year in Monaco mm-hmm. uh, in qualifying and um I mean properly I know he's out qualified him since but it's, that's the standout one and really that's not enough if you want a, you know, a tail gunner to win you a championship no especially if we're facing the prospect and we haven't yet but who knows what's going to happen after the next race of of Hamilton being able to finish second for the rest of the season even if Vettel wins you really need the driver to wedge between there and and I don't know that Kimi Raikkonen could be that driver but you never know he was once maybe he can be mm. again in those very specific circumstances maybe Ferrari sees something in the you know in the simulator or in the data that none of us see because <laughs> you know from the outside it just seems it, it's a shame because he was such a great driver back you know in the in the 2000s especially when he was at McLaren he was just another level you know he was he, I remember when he came on the scene how exciting it was but yeah, he's just not He's just not anywhere near that now. He must just tell really good jokes or something. There must be a reason why they keep signing him on. <laughs> I think I, 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 had a, I had a theory that I was, I mean, it's obviously a tongue-in-cheek one, but I think their, their press office just says, look, he only gives me two lines of quotes for our press release, so keep him. <laughs> so I don't have to go through, I don't have to go through, you know, sort of Felipe Massa talks for a long time, for example. And it must have, take, it must have taken half an hour just to get through his press sessions to find the two good quotes you wanted to use. Kimmy gives you those two two lines and nothing else, you know, and you know what they're going to be. So maybe, maybe it's something to do with that. I don't know. Maybe. It wouldn't be surprising. Uh, I think that's certainly a valid option. I'd keep him just for that. Why yeah. not? It all makes sense. Yeah, I mean, that that is why people like him in the sport is because of the personality. But unfortunately for Ferrari on a performance perspective, you know, Kimi being hilarious every time he talks on the radio mm. isn't much of a comfort if you don't win the Drivers' Championship, I wouldn't say uh so yeah it's a it's a tough one yeah now i want to mention before we wrap up uh, esteban ocon we foreshadowed this a little bit throughout the show uh he did all but two laps of his race uh on the soft tire yes it was the harder of the two tires but nonetheless when you compare him to example for nico hulkenberg who we also mentioned who wasn't able to do that he stopped on lap nine and had to stop again on lap 50 this was an impressive drive because ocon was down to last after getting a puncture on that second lap and uh, again i think uh, disappointing this was a little bit understated but again this is Ocon showing that he really before too long has to be knocking on the door for a top drive even this early in his career because this was this was really impressive yeah absolutely I think we're, we're kind of seeing a really interesting part in Formula One um, we've got this kind of changing of the guard that I feel that we've seen this season Ocon has been a big part of that science as well you know the younger guys who are coming in now that have a lot of excitement about them you're starting to think these guys are future world champions, and obviously Verstappen being one of those standout guys as well. And Ocon, yeah, he's been—I mean, he's been fantastic. And the the fact that he's so consistently scoring points. I mean, for, before we talk about Ocon, actually, I I, I would say my, my drive of the day was actually Perez, purely because he was driving all all weekend with a virus. Mm-hmm. I mean, there wasn't the, there was uncertainty whether he'd actually finish yeah. qualifying or do the race. So the fact that he not only did that but finished sixth, uh, you know, at a pretty t- one of the toughest circuits to go and actually drive in terms of just just talking physically 
so to do that in, in that way, I thought was super impressive. But yeah, the, that's what Force India has been so good with this year is they've got they've had Ocon has come in and immediately been competitive, and you've seen how Perez has reacted to it at some races this year. You know, a lot of a lot of what's happened at Force India has been because of how good Ocon is. Uh, yeah, I, I I think especially as well as 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 we were talking about earlier with Bottas. That's the interesting thing. If if that form of Bottas kind of continues to tail off, and even if he hits a spell like this next year, if Ocon is in this situation where he's got a competitive car and is just every weekend is performing, you know he's he's the golden boy now at Mercedes. Bottas has uh, is hugely valued there, but Ocon's the guy they've put a lot of money into. So yeah, I think I think he's he's absolutely one to watch for the future and I wouldn't be surprised if he was there at the team in 2019 because at the moment that's where his trajectory mm-hmm. seems and to be going. interesting and worth noting in that sense we talk about the contrast between Ocon and Perez this kind of drive is something we would have called vintage Perez well even up until today really being a, a tyre conservation race while still maximising the pace on that tyre so he's doing everything that Perez can do he's making Perez obsolete maybe <laughs> Yeah, maybe, maybe. And also he managed to do it all while being um pushed off the track at least twice by yeah. uh, by Massa, which isn't isn't isn't, you know, the best thing to do for your tires. So with that in mind as well, it was it was, you know, I mean, I think that the crazy thing with Ocon, I think Ocon and Verstappen to me <clears throat> encapsulate what's so impressive about some of these younger drivers now is that they seem they're so unflappable, they're so cool under pressure. And we saw that at the start of Lewis's career sometimes, but he was very, very erratic. You know, he was sometimes he'd have a great race. Sometimes mentally he just wasn't there. Vettel was very hot headed, but it seems like Ocon is a guy who he just he's a very nice guy out of the car. And you you get the impression that he just drives like like he is. He's just very he's just driving. You know, he's mm-hmm. he's not he's not doing it under any pressure or with any anger, but he's also doing it incredibly quickly. And that's what makes him so impressive. And this, a lot of this new generation seem the ones that are, you know, the guys that are really good, they just, it doesn't seem to really, I don't know, maybe they don't realize that what they're doing is, is super <laughs> impressive, but Ocon, I always, I always look at him and I feel like telling him like, you know, you, you're doing an incredible job as a, as a, an <laughs> F1 driver, you're super young, uh, you've got the whole kind of, it seems like you've got the whole world at your feet uh, and it just, if you said that to him, he'd just shrug and say, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> uh, and then you see him in, you see him in the car and you, you, you know, you imagine he must be this kind of, you know, it's kind of steam coming out of his ears or, you know, out of his nose, kind of furiously driving around a circuit. And I, he just doesn't give that impression either. So, yeah, he's he's brilliant. I thought today he was very good. Um, and I mean, uh, was he your standout driver, your, your driver of the day? Or did you have did you have somebody else? It's difficult to pick, actually. I'm looking at the list right now. And I mean, he, he put in a very good performance. I think Perez as well, for the, the reasons you mentioned, deserves an honorable mention for driving mm-hmm. yeah. incredibly unwell, as far as we're all aware. Uh, and obviously Vettel has to have points for that drive and Verstappen for being flawless. But I think actually what we saw today was uh, largely drivers keeping clean and putting in pretty good performances. We saw some mm. wheel-to-wheel action in this race, which is something we don't always see in Formula 1. So there yeah. were plenty of standouts, but I suppose at a pinch, Ocon, who would be your best driver of the day? Well, that's, yeah, um, I, I was looking at the, the kind of the standings after the, the kind of the craziness of the race had actually finished. And I think one guy who went under the radar completely in this race uh and especially i think goes under the radar a lot because of who his teammate is was stoffel vandor mm. he finished seventh yes i was going to mention and and he yeah and i mean he he qualified seventh which in itself was very impressive given that he was this the first weekend we really saw van Dorn, you know massively out qualify alonso most of the time it's the other way around you know alonso mm. kind of eases through to a session and van Dorn struggles and makes it you know drops out of q1 or q2 or whatever it is and that continued in the race because 
he kept both the Williams cars behind him. I mean, I know, I think Williams potentially messed up their strategy because they, you know, they brought out Massa ahead of Stroll. Mm-hmm. And it seems like Stroll got caught up behind Massa for too long in that instance. And then that, you know, inadvertently hampered the chase of Van Dorn. So there was obviously some circumstances in play, but that's a huge result for, for Van Dorn because I don't think he's actually had the best season so far. You know, it's easy to blame things on Honda and McLaren's situation, but... It, it, it looked like he was struggling at one point in the year to, you know, and it, maybe it comes down again to the mental side we talked about with Bottas. But if you're battling Fernando Alonso every weekend, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it must get pretty, pretty soul destroying every weekend. You you go and do what you think is the best lap and then Fernando pulls out one of his laps. Uh, so, yeah, I, for me, given the circumstances around his season and who he's up against, he stood out for me. Um, maybe, maybe Vettel as well. But again, as we said earlier, those, the, the gap between the front guys and the and the you know the best of the rest is just still so big. So I think fighting through the field like that, it's hard to gauge just how good it is. I think. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's hard yeah. to say this was this was the greatest driver of all time because the the, the speed the, the pace in those cars is just so different to say even Force India and Williams. Um, so so yeah, I think Van Dorn would take it if I you know again at a pinch like you said, um, I. Maybe give it to Van Dorn, but this is the thing with drivers. I ne- <laughs> tomorrow I'll wake up and it'll be it'll be two, three different drivers, you know, <laughs> throughout the day. So, <laughs> well, worth noting for Van Dorn, I think this is his second, seventh place in a row after Singapore, and now is ahead of Fernando Alonso in the points. Yeah. McLaren hasn't scored many points, but that is something. I, as you were saying, a couple, even a couple of rounds ago, we wouldn't have thought would be something we could say, but he's finally coming into that. I, I suppose almost GP two form that we kind of think about. Uh, him in in the last couple of years. I mean, it's it's probably too early to say that he doesn't have the machinery to show it, but mm. it's good to see that he he's he is finding a home here finally. Yeah, definitely. And 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 what you said about the championship there, I'd love Van Dorn to score a few, you know, to keep outscoring Alonso, purely because we've seen Alonso when he gets ruffled by a teammate, the famous mm. case of two thousand seven with Lewis. And next year, if they're in a more competitive car, if Van Dorn's there. You know, not just being competitive, but beating Alonso like this. Let, let's say next. Let's say you know this was this is we're a year from now, and you know McLaren's in a similar situation to Red Bull. Let's say, and they they have wins on the table, or they're going for maybe even you know. I don't think that they're not going to be going for a championship, but they're in that situation where both the drivers are trying are trying to legitimately on merit finish above the other one. It'll be interesting to see how Alonso deals with that because he he obviously rates himself very highly, and um, he you would think would be the guy that would be scoring all the points for them. And at the end of the season at the moment, if you finished it now, you'd look at it, just look at the points and you think, well, Van Dorn must have done the better year, which hasn't been the case. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's interesting. I'm not, I'm not predicting a, 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 a Alonso Lewis <laughs> type fallout next year, but I think, I think Alonso's kind of learned a lot from that. But I think a guy like that, it's, it's very interesting if he's got a competitive teammate, just how he'd react to that. Um, I think more so than any other driver on the grid. I think Lewis is good at dealing with teammates. We've seen it with Bottas. Maybe not so much Rosberg, but you know he didn't completely lose his mind over that. Vettel, uh, I guess actually Vettel with with Ricardo was maybe one of the reasons he mm-hmm. left Red Bull when he did. So that's interesting. It's always great when a young guy comes up and kind of challenges an established driver because those guys think, well, look, I've I've earned my place here. You know, you've got to earn your stripes. And that's the way you earn your stripes is to beat someone like Fernando Alonso. So if Van Dorn can keep doing that, uh, yeah, that would be a very interesting story going into 2018. Plenty of foreshadowing. It's that time of the year, I think. It's the time yeah. of the year where we can start. Yeah, I know. <laughs> 
I think I think I think we've been talking so much about 2017 with McLaren that now it's nice to look ahead to a situation where we know we won't be talking about McLaren Honda. So <laughs> forgive me if I've said two, 2018 too many times. I think I've said it. I've said it about five times. <laughs> okay, there's a whole season to look forward <laughs> but, uh, to. This one's pretty much over. It's, we know it's going to be one of two drivers yeah. to win it. So it's boring now. It's all news. Yeah. Well, well, I'll tell you what. We'll do one in. We'll do one at the start of 2018. I'll talk exclusively about 2019 <laughs> in that one. How about that? <laughs> it's a deal. We'll yeah. do that absolutely. Yeah. That was the Malaysian Grand Prix. An interesting result. The championship is certainly still alive, at least for another race for Sebastian Vettel after a storming drive through the field. And plenty to talk about amongst the drivers in between. And Nate, it's been a pleasure to talk about it with you. Yeah. Thanks very much, Michael. And hopefully, do it again soon. That was the strategy report for the 2017 Malaysian Grand Prix. But if you want to read more about the strategy from this week's race, go to f1strategyreport.com for all the pit stop stats, tyre data and the write-up of all the action from Sepang. Don't forget you can subscribe and rate our show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you normally download your podcasts. The Strategy Report is powered by the 2017 edition of Apex Race Manager, which you can download for free for iOS and Android devices. My name is Michael Laminato. You can find me at Michael Laminato on Twitter, and I'll catch you next week for a look back at the Japanese Grand Prix.